Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So get your phones out, get them out and just hold them for a second. You're going to need them here in a minute. Uh, who does not know who Flavor Flav is in this room? Raise your hand. Flavor Flav! All right, all the, six, all the 60s folks didn't know who Flavor Flav was. You didn't miss nothing. You didn't miss nothing. So uh, time has flown. We've, we've already visited two separate decades, the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and when you review decades in reverse, it seems like they, they go a lot faster than while you're in them, right? While you're in them, they go slow. Why are y'all taking pictures of me? You want me to pose? I'll pop a, I'll pop a hip. I'll, I'll, okay. Yeah. So, uh, I really pop a hip now as old as I'm getting. So anyway, yeah. So, uh, we looked at the sixties, seventies. So now we come to the eighties, the eighties. Yes, the 80s. All right, some, some of you aren't as excited about the 80s as I am. So uh, each week I've been playing little snippets of music. Uh, the 60s got cheated because the track didn't work just right, so only one so- song played, but that's all right because they can't remember it. Um, so the 70s, we got a little dance music, disco music going on. But this is the 80s, y'all. The 80s. So like I've been trying to keep the little mashups of music to like two minutes. But it's the 80s, y'all. It's the 80s, y'all. So, so I began to download some music, and I found this mashup. It was all the top 100 songs of the 80s. And I was like, man, this is going to take forever. It was over 16 minutes long. So I did my best, and I cut it down to five minutes. All right, we're going to let you. This is my decade right here. This is the music of my teenage years right here. So this is what I want you to do. We're going to dim the lights. Go ahead and dim the lights a little bit, Tal, because we're going to get the concert scene going. And we're going to play this music now. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to get your phone out and when we hit your song i want you to light your phone up and give it this like you're at the concert that i know y'all went to all right so 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 listen to the 80s come on give me some 80s seth let them hear the 80s get your song out get your get your phone out
the 80s. Yeah. So here's the deal. Next week is the 90s, so we'll only play like 10 seconds of music. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So the uh, hedonism of the 70s was suddenly being re- reevaluated. Uh, it, in the 80s, there were so many celebrities that began to talk about the devastation of what had taken place in the 70s that they started going to rehab centers. It got so bad that finally Nancy Reagan stood up and she said this, just say no. Remember that? That, that, that was in the 80s. Uh, another thing that took place was uh, free love kind of uh, slowed down because AIDS came on the scene. Uh, in fact, that was when Magic Johnson came out and said, I'm HIV positive, and it kind of slowed all that down. And so there were some interesting things taking place. Uh, how about this one? Okay, so on TV in the 80s, you would have been watching things like this for the very first time. MTV, ESPN, uh, The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Dallas, Miami Vice, Magnum P.I. So, so you would have been shopping for stuff like this. Big Wheels and Care Bears and Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, so see some of y'all. In the theaters, you would have been watching stuff like this. E.T., Back to the Future, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Flashdance. You would have been watching Dirty Dancing. You would have been watching Top Gun like 900 times. Ghostbusters. Yeah, on, on the radio or on your Walkman, you would, see, some of y'all have no clue. On your Walkman, you would hear all the one-name artists, people like Madonna and Prince and Whitney and U2, and you'd play Pac-Man and Dig Dug and Centipede, and then finally, not all of a sudden, Christian music actually sounded good, like, like Striper and uh, DeGarmo and Key and... Petra and Carmen, and uh, then there were some other things that took place. The space shuttle uh, blew up right in front of us as we watched on TV. Uh, the Cold War was in full effect to the point, check this out, it had gotten so, we were so scared of communism that during Ronald Reagan's tenure, defense spending rose to $34 million an hour. That's what it averaged. It's ridiculous because we were so scared of communism. And then finally under... Uh, the Reagan administration, he pushed through and the Berlin Wall fell and much of Cold War went away with it. There was uh, an increase in patriotism because of the miracle on ice. Can y'all remember watching that? That was incredible. America beat the Russians in hockey. It was incredible. Then all of a sudden, it start, this started happening. We had the greatest rec- recession in history since the Great Depression. That took place in 1982. And then the stock market crashed in 1987. However, even though it was so bleak financially, the middle class, because of Ronald Reagan and, and all of his hopefulness, the, the middle class decided, you know what, we're not scared of a, a financial ruin. We're not scared of a financial crash. So young urban professionals showed up on the scene. You know who those are, right? Yuppies. That was what, it's the yuppies showed up on the scene, and Starbucks showed up on the scene, and they begin to, um, in a response to the recession, they begin to make a mad dash for more. The problem was, was the method we, that we used to get there, it's called credit cards. And all of a sudden in the 80s, the credit card debt rose to, to an average of $11,000 of debt 
for each household in credit card expense because we had to have more. So there's been this mantra or this message of each decade. In the 60s, it was this. You remember? If it feels good, in the 70s, it was the devil made me. So now we roll right into the 80s, and in the 80s there was a mantra that came out, and it was in a movie called Wall Street. In in the movie Wall Street, a gentleman stood up and he made a statement that kind of encapsulated all of the 80s in one little statement. He said this, greed is good. That was the sermon of the 80s. And so all of a sudden, uh, we began to print bumper stickers that said this, the one with the most toys wins. So if you begin to summarize the 80s, what you can say about the 80s is this. It was the decade of excess. It was all about more. It was about big hair. You had to be able to rock the mullet, baby. You needed a mullet. You weren't even in the 80s if you didn't have a mullet. So there's my Miami Vice tux. Uh, for my senior prom, which was the theme of Purple Rain. And then there's my mullet in all of its grandeur. So I couldn't grow it back out for today. So I had to show you. It was about big hair. You can take that off the screen, Teresa, because they won't be able to concentrate. <laughs> big hair, big houses, big cars, big shoulder pads. That's nothing about football, by the way. Uh, big bank accounts and big deals. And perhaps the most revealing glimpse into this decade was all wrapped up in one show. The popularity of one show. It was called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? And what it did is it, it gave us glimpses into the lavish lifestyles of all the famous people in our world. It showed us their houses and all of their cars. And it, it shows the riches of the elite. And then what it did is it kind of dangled the stick out in front of us that if we wanted to arrive, we needed to keep up with what they had. It was all about excess. Kind of been walking through this with you, and we're going to land there next week. But this week, I just want to mention it again. You can see all the decades played out in the Garden of Eden. And in the you could see the 60s played out in the Garden of Eden because the, 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 the fruit of the tree looked good. So if it feels good, do it. Then when they eat the fruit, they blame the devil. It's the decade of blame in the 70s. The devil made me do it. But now we're in the 80s, and you can see it again. They had access to all the trees of the garden, but they needed just one more. It was about excess. Jesus addresses the 80s. If you want to, you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. Uh, he, he comes dead up against the 80s right here, and he speaks to this idea of excess. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 15 through 21, he tells this parable. He said, speaking to the people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a ter terrific crop, and he talked to himself, and he said, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And he says to himself, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. How many of you know when you start talking to yourself, you're in trouble? Self, you've done well. You've got it made, and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. The main character of this parable... Uh, had to be a part of the 80s because he always wanted more. He was in this mad dash for more. 
He teaches us some things that we need to know this morning. I think the first thing he teaches us is this, is that if you think, if we think we are the source, then we have a tendency to get caught up in the stuff. If we think we are the source, then we have a tendency to get caught up in the stuff. I want you to notice what takes place in this story that Jesus tells. This guy says, I have done well. That's what he says. He says, it's about me. I have done well. I have what I have because I made it happen. I am the master of my own destiny. I am the source. It is, it is because of what I have done that I have what I have. So by the work of my hand, I've created this. There was no understanding in his, in his mind that, well, that every good gift comes from heaven above. He never stopped to identify the real source. He thought he was the source. And because he thought he was the source, he gets stuck in his stuff. See, we, we've learned the lesson of 80 so well that what we do now is we come to this place where we call things blessings that aren't. See, the 80s has carried over into the 2000s, even to this day. We will call things blessings that aren't. We're so caught up in the stuff that we fail to recognize the source. And so this is what happens. We, we, we call things blessings, but they're not. Because some of the things that we call blessings actually bankrupt us. They put us in bondage. They put us in chains, and we're so wrapped up that we think that if our barns are bursting, then we're blessed. But how many of you know this guy, his barn was bursting, but he wasn't blessed. He was in trouble. If, if, our, if our barn's bursting leads to bankruptcy spiritually, then why would we call that blessed? Why would we blame that on God? Why would we think that God would give us the stuff that distracts us from Him? It isn't a blessing if it curses us. Okay, so... That's why the Hebrew writer, Hebrew writer says this in chapter 13, verse 5 of Hebrews. He says this. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Notice he does not say that you don't need money. He doesn't want us to, want us to stay away from money. He says to stay away from the love of money. Because if we love money, then we get caught up in the stuff and we begin to think that we're the source. He says, don't love money. He says to judge whether you're blessed or not. Here's the standard that we've got to come to if we're going to beat the 80s. The standard by which we determine whether we're blessed or not is this. Are we blessed with God's presence? He says you've got to learn to come to this place in your life where you determining whether or not you're blessed or not has nothing to do with how many cars you have, how many houses you have, how much money is in your bank account. No, I am blessed by whether or not I can determine that the presence of God exists in my life. And if he's with me all the time, then I'm blessed regardless of how much I have or how little I have. I learn to become content with what he's given me. He, so, so we've got to come back to this place where contentment is directly related to source. Who provides what you have? It's not the guy you work for. It's not the company you've given your life to. We've got to move past all that to get past the 80s. We've got to push past all of that and understand that everything that we have is a direct result of what God has done for us. And so it should fill our heart not with greed, 
not for wanting more. It ought to fill our heart with a place of contentment because we know He's our source. Here's the thing that this guy teaches us in in the uh, parable. He teaches us this. He teaches us that treasure hunting leads to treasure hoarding. So we come to this place in our life, if we're always hunting treasure, then we come to this place where it, it becomes about this. Bigger is better. There's never enough. My barns are already full, but it's not enough. I've got to have more. I've got enough cars to get me from work to home and from home to work, but it's not enough. I need a weekend car. I need a parade car. I need a road trip car. There's never enough. I've got, I've got 96 suits in my, in my closet, but I need one more because that one more will keep me up with everybody else. It's all about more. If you start hunting treasure, you will begin to hoard treasure. Because the Bible declares that treasure determines our heart direction. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's all, if we're not careful, it becomes about more, about more, about more. So much so that uh, you, you probably heard this story before. It's about John Rockefeller. He was one of the, uh, at one point, the world's richest man. He was the first ever American billionaire. Bill, with a B, a billionaire. He's still considered, and that was in the 1900s, early 1900s, so he's still considered probably the richest man ever to live in America, even to today's standards. If you do the inflation and everything, he was absolutely filthy rich. One day a reporter looked at him and said, how much money is enough? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. And we go, wow, man, if I was a, if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want more. Yes, you would if you don't recognize the source and you don't deal with the love of money. God says this, you cannot serve God and mammon, the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age, that's what mammon is, is the spirit of the age is not just about coins and dollars, it's about philosophy. The fact that we, we eat up this idea that the 80s force fed us, that you're ne- you never have enough and you've got to compare to everybody else and you've got to keep up with everybody else and we begin to hunt treasure and it takes over our heart and then it's about I've got to keep all my stuff. If we hunt treasure, then we begin to hoard treasure. And the truth is, is that in the 80s and in this parable, it shows us that greed, all that greed does is it tries to convince us that stuff satisfies. Stuff satisfies. If you don't, want to, if you don't believe that, where's my phone? If you don't believe that we still are operating in the 80s, how many of you know that a phone is to make phone calls? All right. <laughs> It'll do that too. I know now they'll do texts and maps and pictures and cook and turn your sprinklers on and open your garage doors and set your thermostats and all that stuff. But when you pull it right down, this is for what? Making phone calls, right? How many of you, your phone makes phone calls perfectly fine today? Raise your hand. All right, it does. Okay, then why will we go and bankrupt ourselves to buy a new phone because a new version came out that still makes phone calls? Right? It's because it's about our heart. It's this love, it's this greed that's grown up in us. We were taught this, y'all. Though all of you that got crazy about the music in the 80s, what that shows me is that about most of the people in this room were taught by the 80s. And we have a tendency to think that if we can get enough treasure, we will be satisfied. But stuff never satisfies. That's why there's a, such a thing as called buyer's remorse. 
Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? You, you shop for months to go buy the new car. You buy the new car and you pay like more than you paid for your house. And, and, and you roll off the lot. And as soon as you will roll off the lot, you know that it goes way down in value. And all of a sudden you stop at the first stop sign or you get behind a big semi and it throws a rock and it hits your windshield. And all of a sudden you're, when you're not able to go eat for the next six months because you don't have enough money because you got to make the car payment. All of a sudden you have buyer's remorse. It's because we've been lied to. We thought the stuff would satisfy. It never does. So the last lesson that we need to learn this morning is this. is Stuff is a very poor substitute. The man in the parable and in the, those of us that lived in the 80s, need, our need for identity was tied into our success and our stuff. You'll remember in the 70s, I told you that Americans lost themselves. They didn't know who they were anymore. That's why counseling boomed. So in the 80s, we began to try to determine who we are by what we own. Okay, y'all don't believe me, so I'm going to prove it to you. In the 80s, we tried to, to, to wrap our identity into what we own. So our identity is determined by what we drive. So that's why all of a sudden in the 80s, a brand new company comes along called BMW. Have you ever gone to a BMW showroom? I've been one time. No, twice. When I owned my little Mini Cooper and got rid of it because they're nuts. Because of how much it cost to fix them. And I didn't know it before I bought it. In the meantime, BMW bought Mini Cooper. So I had to go to the BMW uh, showroom to wait on my car to be fixed. And I'm walking through the BMW. I'm not, listen, if you own a BMW, I'm not railing on you. I'm just telling you that when people can't afford to pay their light bills, but they're driving a BMW, something's wrong. Because I walk through the showroom and those cars are, it's ridiculous. There are cars in there that cost more than my house. But we were so wrapped up in, we got to find our identity and our stuff that BMW goes through the roof. Or it's about our house. We've got to have the biggest house. Let me show you. I'll show you. Our, our identity is so wrapped up in the size of our house that it, this is what hap- happens. The average cost of a new house in 1980s exploded to $120,000. That was the average cost of a new house. Our income in the 1980s had grown to, on average, $27,000 a year. So by the end of the 80s, our income from the 60s to the 80s, our income, our income had grown four times. Our house cost had grown nine times. The reason is, is we're trying to wrap up our identity in what we live in. But stuff is a poor substitute. Stuff never plugs the hole in our heart. That's why some of the richest people on the planet are empty and unhappy. Stuff is a poor substitute and it never really satisfies the longing of our spirit. That's why Jesus, he, he knew this, he said this, he said, Remember, man does not live by bread alone. This is an important passage of scripture, y'all. I want you to notice that what Jesus does is he does not say that bread is unnecessary. Stay with me, please. If you don't get anything else, I'm, I'm going to say hear, hear this today. Jesus does not say that bread is unnecessary. 
What he says is bread is not primary. I'm going to say that again because that's good. Jesus does not say that bread is unnecessary. What Jesus says is bread is not primary. He's trying to teach us that if we're not careful because we've been taught by the 80s, we will begin to think that bread is primary and spiritual is secondary. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that proceeds out of the Father's mouth. So there's this spiritual aspect of my life that bread, natural things, physical things will never be able to satisfy because I was designed in such a way that I must be spiritually primarily spiritual, and then the physical will take care of itself. And yet we flip the script. It, the, the physical is necessary, but it isn't primary. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them in heaven where they will never lose value and are safe from thieves. If your prophets are in heaven, your heart will be there too. I'm going to stop right there and say, isn't it kind of ironic that we struggle with where our heart is most of the time? Jesus says our treasures have to be in heaven and then our heart will be there as well. He goes on and he says this. He says, so don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen? Dog, Jesus is mean, isn't he? When we become trapped by treasures, we are acting like, these are not my words, these are Jesus' words, don't look at me mean. We are acting like the heathen. Okay. For they, this is what, here's how the heathen act. For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need them. He doesn't say they're not necessary. He's just saying they're not primary. And He will give them to you if you will give Him first place in your life and live as He wants you to live. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. The 80s tries to get us to flip the script. And let's get all this stuff. And then whatever's left over, we'll give it to God. And Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to get your heart right and begin to pursue real treasure, which is in heaven. So, so, so the 80s teaches us that, that I, can, I can seek everything else first, and then I'll seek God with what's left over. So I, be, I, I have to take matters in my own hands. I, I'm, I am responsible for provision. That's how we thought in the 80s. I am responsible for provision. God's not in the mix. I'm on my own. i got to make my own way. You know how I know that? Because in the 80s, we begin to use this excuse. I'm going to give you an excuse, then I'm going to get out of your way. Here became the most prom. this is the most prominent ex- excuse you heard in the 80s, and I would dare say it continues to this day. Here it is. When we begin to talk to you about things about, uh, uh, things about God that are going to take time, if we begin to talk to you about uh, your money, if we begin to talk to you about your family and how you interact with your family members, you know what our excuse is this? Here it is. I'm working. In the 80s, the excuse became, I'm working. I don't have time to pursue God. 
I don't have time to work on my marriage. I don't have time to invest in my kids. I don't have time to do anything to serve the kingdom. I'm working. Why? Because we were pursuing stuff. Oh, y'all are looking at me. We become so wrapped up in pursuit of all the stuff that our excuse is, I'm working, so that now in the 80s, check this out, we lost the Sabbath. We don't know how to rest. Shop till you drop. We don't know how to take time off. I don't know how to, to separate my work schedule from my family schedule. I, you want me to serve on a Sunday afternoon? I got to work. You want me to come out to an outreach? Don't you know I have to work? I want you to give something to, to the poor. Don't you know I got to work for that? And my, it's for, It becomes an excuse. We lose who we are. In trying to grab more, but in grabbing more, we grab less. That's why so many of you would say that you are blessed. But at the same time, if you were really honest, you would say you're empty. I'm blessed because I work myself to death. But if we were really get to brass tacks, you're empty. In the dash for more, we've gained less. So my question this morning is this, are we still trapped in the 80s? Are we chasing after more only to find less? Is our identity defined by our stuff? Are we seeking God first or are we seeking stuff first? Are we only seeking God because we say, God, I want to seek you so I can be blessed? Or are we already content with what we have? We need to evaluate what we learned in the 80s and refuse to get caught up in Barn building. First Timothy chapter 6, and then I'll end. First, uh, whoever's playing, Catherine, or whoever's playing, would you come onto the keyboard? Um, First Timothy chapter 6, listen to very carefully to what the writer Paul says. He says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You're sitting here today and you say, well, you don't know my, my plight. I, I can barely pay my bills and uh, I don't have a 401k and, and everybody around me has got more money than I have and I, I feel bad because... Listen, Paul didn't determine whether you were wealthy based on what your bank account says. Paul determined your wealth like this. He says, true godliness with contentment is great wealth. How many of you in here are really content? He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, listen to what he says, let us be content. He goes on, he says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You say, well, what are you saying? All I'm doing right now is reading you Bible. That's Bible. If we would just read the Bible. 
but instead we're influenced by the decades that we were brought into this world in that, that were our decade. The 80s was my decade, man. And, and the, the 80s taught me more is better. Greed is good. Your identity is wrapped up in what you drive. It's determined by whether or not you wear the right name brand of jeans. Whether you're successful or not is determined by the brand of car you got in your garage. And by the way, you need a garage. You need like three car garage. And a white fence. And two kids. And a dog. And you got to use the right kind of toothpaste. And if you get the right deodorant, there'll be babes on the, on, the, on the beach running towards you in bikinis. You didn't know? That's what they're, that is the message they taught us. And so I've watched believers bankrupt themselves spiritually trying to address physical things when physical is not supposed to be primary. Maybe necessary, but not primary. Because we are not the source. And so my challenge to you this morning is simply this. I just got to do this. I got to challenge you. I just want to challenge you to determine how content are you? Maybe your car is not the nicest car in our parking lot. But does that really make you more valuable as a man or as a, as a woman that your car is not as nice as everybody else's in the parking lot? Maybe your clothes aren't like everybody else's clothes. But who cares if you have clothes? That's why we have our pantry and our closet. We don't look down on people that have less than us. That stuff is necessary, but it's not primary. The worth of a man is not wrapped up in the car he drives, the house he lives in, the size of his bank account, or the clothes that he wears. It's wrapped up in this fact that Jesus died on a cross for them and for us, and at the foot of the cross, it is flat. It's equal. We're all the same. So Paul said, look, you got to learn that you can sit in the presence of rich people and be content and not envy them. I can be thankful that they've been blessed at that level. I can also sit in the, in the company of people that don't have two pennies to rub together and I can still be as thankful and honor them just as much as I honor somebody that has wealth and all together we make up the family of God. But we will never learn to do that if we don't learn to be content. So I just challenge you over the course of the next few months, we're going to attempt some things. We're going to do an outreach in September that is going to be incredible. Um, I'm not even going to take time this morning to tell you all about it. I just want to put that out for you. That in September, we're going to do an outreach that we've never tried anything like this ever in our history. And it's scary. It's scary what could happen because I've gotten reports of what's happened. But what it really means is that people that may not look like us, smell like us, drive like us, live like us could come in the, 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 the front door and sit next to us. And we have to be positioned in contentment to look at them and go, that's my brother. That's my sister. And we love them. We need to become content. I want you to help me pray this morning. Father. I could pray a lot of things over this body called passion, this family called passion, the people that make up passion. We pray on a weekly basis that you would bless us. And Father, we, we acknowledge this morning that 
The physical is not primary, it's secondary. But at the same time, I still want you to bless these people. But I pray that our standard would change. That, that our scale of what blessings mean would change. And so, Father, I pray this morning that somewhere deep down in our heart, we would quit chasing treasure. And we would quit holding out for stuff. And we would deal with the spiritual first. So, Father, as I pray that you bless these folks that are under the sound of my voice today because I care about them, I pray that this is the way that you would bless them. I pray that you would bless them with contentment. Father, I pray that if there's inside of all of us that were so, um, so familiar with the 1980s, I pray that you would help us. We need your help. I, I declare to you as a part of the 80s that my teenage years, my formative years into, into to what I believe and what I, what I value, Father, I pray that down inside of us you would change something and that you would help us to become content. So I pray that our standards would change. Father, I pray that you would make us so content, each and every one of us, whether we were a part of the 80s or not, that we would become so content with your presence in our life and we would call that blessed, that we would be so content that when somebody walks in here that has way more than us, we won't feel threatened and we won't feel second best and we won't feel less than. And we won't begin to make allegations and accusations and point fingers and because of we're envious of them. And at the same time, Father, when these doors open up and people that come, that come are not like us and maybe they're at a different socioeconomic status than us and maybe they don't live in the nicest house and maybe their car broke down when they pulled up in the parking lot or maybe they don't even have a car and had to ride a bike or ride a bus or, or maybe even walk however they got here when they get here. May they find people that are so content and so wrapped up in you that we wouldn't look down our noses and that we wouldn't ridicule and we wouldn't feel better than. We wouldn't make them feel like second-class citizens, but instead we would make room for them at the table. And if you've given it to us, then we know we are a channel through which the source operates and you would open up our channel and we would begin to give to those in need. May we become that content so that whether I'm rich or poor, as long as I have the presence of God in my life, I'm satisfied. Rip out the need for more from us so that when more does come, we recognize that it came from you. I come against every spirit of greed that rises up in us that causes us to love treasure more than we love you, Jesus. Father, if we've been making the excuse, I've got to work, and because I've got to work, I can't pursue you, then I pray that you would convict us of that this morning. Father, if we've allowed work to become an excuse to not pay attention to our spouse or to our children or to those you've assigned us to, I pray that you'd convict us of that this morning. 
and we would learn that the physical isn't primary. It's secondary to finding everything that you have for us in our spirit man. May we become more like you as we become more content. I ask you to accomplish this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Would you do this? Would you turn, your na- turn to your neighbor real quick and say, More is not always more. Come on, tell them. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.